Today on Viewpoints, Sherry and I have the privilege of sitting down with Miss Debbie Condino, who's the Executive Director of Macomb Medical Authority, Andy Brown and Nicole Plowman of the Par- of MedStar, I'm sorry, and Miss Lindsay Parton of Care of Southeastern Michigan. Debbie and Andy, welcome. We're so pleased that you were able to meet with us today. We're Thank going you. to talk Thank about this great program that you guys have. So I was wondering, um, I know the program called Macomb uh, Outreach, is that correct? Macomb County Outreach, yes. Macomb County Outreach. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that, but uh, it was originally started as a partnership. Uh, could you talk a little bit about that partnership and, and uh, where the program came from? Sure. And again, thank you very much for this opportunity. Um, so um, we in Macomb County, we're seeing just a very, I'll say, large uptick in overdoses within our county. And we in um, EMS services, and I work for the Medical Control Authority, um, I oversee EMS services. We, in partnership uh, with MedStar Ambulance, came up with a program that was very unique Nobody else was doing it in the state of Michigan, and no, not many people across the country. We did learn about two other programs that were similar uh, to a certain extent, but not exactly the same. And so we requested a special study through the state of Michigan to allow us to do this program in the county. And it was the purpose was to follow up on any overdoses um, that our emergency medical personnel ran on 24 or 48 hours earlier. And our purpose was to follow up with these citizens who were our patients to provide resources for them to get into treatment. And honestly, and, and initially, it was really about trying to get them into treatment. And so this program was approved by the state of Michigan. It was utilizing the community paramedics within the MedStar um, uh, organization. And Andy will talk a little bit more about that program because that also is somewhat unique. So it was utilizing paramedics who had special training. And I'm going to say it's more um, social work services uh, in addition to all of the um, you know, experience that they have as a paramedic, they also had special training to deal with social issues, of which this category of patient often it often needs, even more often than sometimes medical care. So um, it's very unique. It's being monitored by the state of Michigan. There is still nobody else doing it, but the purpose was to set a template for other agencies across the state to adopt because they were going to monitor our success to see if this is something that they wanted to promote across the state. And I don't know, maybe Andy, you can talk a little bit about the uniqueness of the community paramedic program 
within your company. Absolutely. Uh, thank you, Debbie. Um, so the community paramedic program that we have within MedStar is really uh, sort of a, a cutting edge program within EMS. EMS has traditionally been a very reactive um, service model, uh, reacting to emergency service requests within our communities. And for a long time, there has been this notion in EMS that if only we could pro or, or intervene before the emergency actually takes takes place, that we would be a, a far greater uh, commodity to the communities that we serve. Uh, and so when Macomb County was seeing an increase in the number of overdoses, uh, Debbie reached out to us and asked if there was a method or a means for MedStar to really uh, become a preventative barrier for um, these emergencies from occurring. Um, you know, we provide EMS services, 911 services for seven communities in Macomb County. We have a very large network uh, within those communities. And we see a lot of these cases of overdoses uh, from our EMS sector. So it really was a, a perfect opportunity for us to take our community paramedic program and now use it as a way to intervene uh, in these situations before, or I, I guess in this case, in, in sort of a retrospect, to make sure that these patients had the services or access to the services that they needed uh, so that they ultimately wouldn't fall back into uh, a scenario where they were going to uh, uh, suffer from another, another overdose. Um, and much of the work that we were providing then uh, was, was going out and not, obviously checking on their physical health, but asking them questions about their access to, to social services, making sure that they had transportation to get to appointments, making sure that they had um, adequate nutritional um, foods in their homes, um, and really working towards a lot of those more social elements of care as opposed to the clinical elements of care. And, and we saw some great success within the program. Um, obviously, you know, we, we couldn't impact as many as, as we would have hoped to because you want to make sure that you have 100% impact on every person that you go to see. But obviously, um, there are some challenges in, in gaining access to homes, especially when they know that, that you know that they've experienced an overdose. You know, people sometimes are, are not so willing to, to be receptive to people coming into their homes after those. But what we did see is that it, it did provide that additional layer of of social care that um, that maybe these these individuals didn't realize that they had access to before. Um, so it really was a very good working relationship, and I think that we've been really able to expand on that relationship here um, recently uh, with the addition of our partners within the Macomb County Sheriff's Department and uh, Care of Southeast Michigan. That sounds like an amazing program. Um, so the people that uh, are referred to you, uh, how do you how do you get that information? So the that's really where this relationship sort of seemed to make the most sense is that we already had access to these patients' care records because we were responding to them. We were the EMS provider who was called upon to treat these patients when they initially had their overdose. So really, for us, uh, we we knew their we knew their addresses, we knew their names, we knew when their event occurred, um, and you know to a certain extent, we knew what um, you know what um, drug they had taken at the time. Uh, obviously, during the opioid um, 
epidemic, we, we knew that the predominant use uh, was opioids. Um, but we also knew that they weren't. So it didn't mean that they were disqualified so much, but it just meant that we, we catered our messaging towards, um, you know, whatever it was that they were using that led to their overdose. So it really made sense because MedStar was already the responding agency to the, the 911 request. But now we had this service line of our community paramedics with their with their social more social element of care that could follow up afterwards um, and and provide another uh, line of service and additional uh, means to these patients. If I just might add a little bit um, to what Andy is saying, because we did, as he said, we really transitioned our program, um, and he's absolutely right. How we you know get the clients that we decide to follow up on. Um, and in Macomb County, there's anywhere between 100 and 150 overdoses per month across the county. Now, MedStar's service area is almost about 30%, actually. Um, but we didn't start out in all of the communities that they served initially because we wanted to see about the, um, the what kind of numbers we had based upon the, the resources that they had um, at MedStar because if we couldn't really follow up on everybody and if we couldn't really provide the service that we had intended, you know, we just wanted to make sure we were doing it, you know, we had enough resources to do it. And it's interesting because initially we would follow up with a phone call 24 to 48 hours later. And interestingly enough, Lots of people didn't answer their phone. And we realized very shortly, if you remember, Andy, that when MedStar Ambulance comes up on their caller ID, they were thinking that we were calling about a bill or money that they would be owed, and they weren't answering the phone. Um, so as he said, we were tweaking things along the way because we discovered a lot of this. And, you know, initially our plan was to get people into treatment because that's what they're supposed to do, right? What we learned is, is that these individuals that we were making cold calls on were actually not really interested in doing anything but using and abusing drugs at that point. So calling them, although we did get some response, we didn't get the amount of sort of um, answers or, or engagement that we had hoped for. So we started doing some other things differently. We learned that texting is better. They don't like to talk on the phone necessarily. And they did respond to text messages a little bit more. Um, so it's just been an interesting learning. Um, we learned that they didn't like uniforms, not in the hospital, not in not with our EMS providers, so they dress in plain clothes now. So it's just some little things along the way we tweaked. Um, and it's just, it's, it's just interesting how when we started back in December of 2019, what we were doing compared to what we're doing now. So you mentioned before, you guys keep saying how you start off in smaller communities to make sure that if you're going to hit people, might as well hit them correctly, not just, you know, halfway. How do you measure the success of I'm hitting them in the correct way? How do you actually calculate or track that? Well, 
you know, when I referred to that, I meant that we had enough resources to be able to do the follow-ups. And at that point in time, I think we had three or four community paramedics that were able to do the work. Now, remember, this is not their only job. They were actually, community paramedics were following up on patients discharged from the hospital who had chronic disease, chronic illness to set them up in their homes and that kind of thing. So they had other responsibilities. So that's why we wanted to make sure we had enough resources. Um, but I was going to respond. I um, but You said something about how do you measure success. You know, our success, actually, we were measuring initially on how many people we were able to get into treatment, but it wasn't that long before we decided, really, our success is if someone actually answers the phone or answers a text message or allows us to visit with them because we realized establishing a relationship with these individuals who, number one, are not looking for care, they're really not at a point in their um, use or abuse to maybe do anything more than allow for medical treatment, dental treatment, resources, as Andy had described. And perhaps if we established a relationship with them, they'd be more apt to work with us in the future. And we, pro we have proven that to be true, that when you, we establish that relationship, that's what makes the difference. And I think Nicole can add a lot of information um, because she and her colleagues were the ones who actually did, made the visits as a medical provider. And she can tell you some of the things that they used to do um, as follow-up medical care or providing the resources that they needed that they did not have. Because honestly, every situation, that's the other thing we learned was so different. Sometimes, and she will tell you, when you make the visit with the patient or the citizen, you end up really working with the partner or the husband or wife or the mother or father or the sibling or whoever. Because, you know, this is a family um, issue too. So it's just really been interesting all of the things we th sort of thought we were going to be dealing with really ended up being a bit different. Um, Debbie, something you said made me think about this. Uh, when you started or are there still any kinds of, is there a, like a pushback from people within the community uh, when the program was being developed or the ideas were brought up? Um. I would say that there was some pushback because not everybody understood what we were doing. And I think those that actually go on the visits might be able to better answer that question. But as far as law enforcement generally or other EMS providers, I would say they all thought it was a great idea, but honestly, Nobody was raising their hand to do it. MedStar actually stepped up because up until just a short time ago, they were not receiving any reimbursement for this. They were doing this as part of community their community service. Um, and they took out staff half a day a week or whatever it ended up being 
um, and not getting any reimbursement for it. It was really their community service uh, that they were providing. So, no, we didn't get pushback about the concept and what we were doing. There's a lot of support. But if I contacted one of our other agencies or municipalities to say, would you like to join the program, they would say we would love it, but we don't have the resources to do it. And as a matter of fact, we have to keep our resources for all of our 911 calls. You know, MedStar was one of the first um, in the state of Michigan to actually establish this division of their organization, this community paramedic program. And across the country, this is not uncommon. You, you see more community paramedic programs, but in Michigan, no, well, number one, nobody's doing it exactly this way with this medical component where they're actually treating infections and, and doing oral assessments and all of that. Nobody's doing that. So these patients, these citizens are getting immediate medical care uh, because they have committed to being able to do this as part of what they do, with what their organization does. So Debbie or Andy, uh, you talked a little bit, you mentioned funding. How, how does the funding on this program work? Where does it come from? Well, as I said, there is no funding. Um, there was no uh, funding set up initially. We applied for a few grants. Some uh, We were denied some of them because they wanted to see a little bit more work. But we did get a grant um, in our partnership with Care of Southeast Michigan, who sort of took the lead. Um, and it was for about six months. We're still sort of waiting because the six months is, is here right now to uh, hear about, you know, sort of next steps with that. And the state of Michigan, actually, I met with them as recent as last week, and they're trying to secure some funding to uh, allow reimbursement specifically for um, MedStar for their work, um, their visits that their community paramedics do, and also the recovery coaches um, that work for CARE. Um, that would be Lindsay, and, and there's a few others there. So we're, we're kind of hoping that we're going to be able to establish some funding source. But at this point, all of these organizations who are involved, including the Macomb County Sheriff, um, they're doing this with the staff that they have uh, without any reimbursement. They're working it into their normal workday. So... Macomb County is the fourth largest county in the state of Michigan, uh, roughly 800 and some thousand people. Do you, do you get um, the community or other EMS responders, has, has it happened yet that they come to you and say, hey, can you come and visit, you know, patient X or can you come and help us in our community? Have you, have you seen that yet? They have not, well, I, I shouldn't say that. There was one that, uh, one or two that actually reached out to me to say, we'd like to get involved in this, but we just don't know about having the resources. Um, however, we've invited two other um, municipalities within um, the county to join us, and that's Chesterfield Township and um, Washington Township. And they agreed to be part of this because, and again, they may not have an established relationship with MedStar to do their transports. However, they 
know of MedStar, they know of this program, they know it's the community paramedic division, and so they were absolutely willing to work with us. They wouldn't necessarily be utilizing any of their staff, but we would still be allowed to do the outreach in their, in their city. So there's been a few that we've added on. We've hesitated a little bit because, we, again, we want to make sure that we have enough staff to do it. But we are seeing patients, you know, um, four out of five days each week. And it just depends on the number of overdoses. And after it's vetted by the sheriff's department as being a safe location for us to do our unannounced visits determines how many people we will see. That was one of my questions is uh, safety. So thank you for covering that. Yes. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit more about this, obviously, but um, for any community that might be uh, watching us today, if someone wanted to duplicate this program, uh, can they contact you? Are there any uh, privacy things that you are aware of that would not allow you to share the program? There's nothing. I mean, I'd be happy to speak to anyone. As a matter of fact, how we got the different ideas about our program, we joined and participated with an association um, that was established out east some time ago. Um, it's the PARI program, which many may have heard about, the police-assisted addiction and recovery initiative. And while they do things just a little bit different, we have learned from each other. So I am happy to speak to somebody. There's no real privacy things. We don't share any information about specific patients. We speak in general how we do this. And so I would be very happy to share the components of our program and, and what we've done and why, you know, it's things we've learned along the way that work and other things that don't work as well. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you, Andy. Is there anything uh, that you'd like to add as far as the basic program itself that, that, that we didn't cover maybe? Yeah, I think it's important that, you know, Debbie touched on it a little bit, but, you know, really the, the, the foundation of community paramedic programs in the state of Michigan have really been based around, um, high-risk populations, typically within your elderly populations who have chronic disease processes that are constantly cycling through hospitals as a means of primary care, uh, either because they don't have access to a primary care physician um, or they don't have the continuum of care once they've been discharged from a hospital. And so MedStar is, is equal parts owned by three health systems, the Henry Ford Health System, the Center of Michigan, uh, and McLaren. And through those partnerships, um, we have helped develop our community paramedic program primarily around two areas of particular need for them, which is uh, high ED utilization uh, and high readmission rates for uh, targeted populations. And that's really what started our community paramedic program. Um, but the nice thing about our community paramedic program is that it's flexible. Uh, so when we were presented with this opportunity uh, through the Macomb County um, Medical Control Authority, it was a no-brainer. It really made sense that, you know, this is a program that has the flexibility to take the shape of the need of any community partner. Um, so when, when we were presented with this opportunity, it really wasn't a thought of if we could, but how do we, how do we 
transition our program to best benefit the need. And I think that's really where community paramedic programs are going to be a huge benefit throughout the state is that they really do take what is a, what is basically a very singular model of EMS agencies in a, in a transportation model to now more of a proactive approach to care, uh, managing these populations before their their need gets to the point where they're going to a hospital, or and in this case, you know after the fact in checking up on these patients once they've had that that event that obviously is is avoidable. Um, it, it, as long as we can provide the care and the resources to them, um, you know, that's really what is, is the, the benefit of a program like ours and, and why, you know, when Debbie talks about a, a lack of funding, um, you know, since 2015 when we started our program as a pilot study, there hasn't been funding. We've done all of this work for the last, you know, going on near seven years, uh, free, free of any sort of funding source. Um, but it's because we believe in the program and we know that there's going to be opportunity for us moving forward. And, and I think having done the work with our hospital partners, our community partners, uh, it really speaks to what MedStar can provide to other potential partners out there. So that's why the, these sorts of programs are very important. We want to make sure that people understand, yes, obviously we're doing this at a, at a cost to the organization, but it's because it's what we believe in and we know that this is the future of EMS and the future of care for EMS agencies in the future. So, Andy, you discussed before um, the, the transition from reactive to the proactive, you know, the community paramedic, and you said this started around 2015, so it's been about six, seven years. Have you had any other uh, organizations like yourself or like, your, like uh, MedStar reach out to you looking to possibly duplicate this with their type of organization? And or is it kind of like one of those programs that's just so hard to convert that most of them just stay where they are and kind of wait for direction to come to them? Yeah, so there's a handful of, of EMS agencies throughout the state who have adopted uh, mobile health or community paramedic programs. Uh, the vast majority have not. Um, and, and, you know, I think it's because it's difficult concept to wrap your head around if if you're not as ingrained in your community as MedStar is. Mm -hmm. uh, when there's so many different opportunities either through our hospital partners, our community partners, um, you know, we, we have a couple of other programs that we run with um, managed care groups uh, for senior citizens. Um, you know, people recognize that MedStar has this program and, you know, we, we are, there's no shortage of interest in the work that we provide. And I think, you know, traditional EMS organizations or smaller EMS organizations are going to struggle finding that that means to create such a program because they're they're just they're not being request it's not being requested of them. That said, I think as these programs start to develop and you know they start to gain more momentum, they start start to gain more notoriety in the media uh, through means like this. I, I think the the EMS agencies who maybe have been slow to come about and, and considering a program are going to see the inherent value that it could provide to their own EMS, you know, the, the, the ambulance side of their business. Um, and, and we recognize that, you know, we, we, in order for us to supplement the, the need for our EMS organization, this program is going to provide that, that supplement. We, we need to make sure that we are providing not only the, the, the response service aspect of our work, 
but we also want to make sure people know that we have a more comprehensive program that can support before and after the event occurs. And, and I think there, it's going to gain momentum. It's already gaining momentum. We're seeing a lot of other organizations working with the state of Michigan right now talking about what it would take to become a community paramedic program. It, it's not a little bit of work. It's a lot of work, and it's a lot of education. I mean, it's, it's a truly a commitment that an agency needs to make. So I think as they recognize and they see programs like ours and some of the others sort of dovetail off into providing services that maybe they hadn't considered as a community paramedic-based service, um, they will start to become more interested. And they'll start to engage and, and really recognize that this could provide a benefit to their community as well. Awesome. No, I, I completely understand that. And that's amazing, the 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 impact you guys are already seeing with that. And hopefully we'll see, like you said, other um, EMS organizations picking up on that. So to bring it back, um, Debbie, you mentioned before how, um, or if you recall, when and when did you guys get uh, CARE for Southeastern Michigan involved in this? And why did you guys get CARE for Southeastern Michigan involved? Great, thanks. Actually, we involved CARE of Southeast Michigan at the beginning of this year, I believe. At the end of last year, beginning of this year, you know, with the whole COVID thing, I, I've lost track of time. <laughs> right. Because during that time, as you know, uh, it was very difficult to do visits anywhere. Um, so um, we did follow up with phone calls and that kind of thing. But I want to say um, it hasn't been quite one year, but their participation, as I said, had brought about a whole uh, different dimension. And um, so it's been a little less than a year. It, we felt like, as I said, it, to measure our success, we were going to see how we could establish a relationship with these folks to allow for us to provide the medical care needed. And it's usually initially, you know, after an overdose and all of that. However, um, when we've made visits, sometimes it's there's other medical care that's needed. But the work that they do at CARE, and I'll have Lindsay uh, uh, speak to that. I don't want to steal her thunder. You know, they have expertise in caring for these folks on a longer-term basis. Once we sort of get their attention and, and get them engaged, the family coaches, the peer recovery coaches, the, they do a lot of social things. And, and I do want Nicole to talk a little bit about what she did as a, a medical provider, too, because, like I said, initially, when, on that first follow-up visit, we find out that they may have an infection. They may have dental care that's needed. And we had resources to refer them to and actually drive them to. So they did a medical care. Lindsay's part and the part with care was really on a more, you know, initially engaging them and then more long-term follow-up with them. And they actually become a client then of, um, of care of Southeast Michigan. Okay. So then Lindsay, if you could uh, give a little description again, just like, like Debbie did as to what care does and what the integration with Macomb Outreach looks like from CARE's end. Yeah, thank you, Zach. And, you know, I just want to say thanks so much for uh, having us. This is really such a unique um, team, you know, such a great team and a great opportunity that we get. Um, so, yeah, I'm 
Lindsay. I am a, the program supervisor for Care Recovery United Community Center, and I have this awesome opportunity to be part of the overdose response team and the home outreach and go on these calls. Um, you know, what's really awesome about this specific department is that uh, we get to go almost in search and meet people where they are uh, and introduce recovery to them. Whereas um, the other departments with care, we have peer recovery coaches stationed at various partner sites. And so we receive referrals by them showing up at these partner sites. Um, so that's what really excites me about this program is that we get to go out and do outreach and meet with people who have may have never um, been introduced recovery. You know, I'm, I'm still surprised at how many people, um, how many survivors that we meet with that still don't know how to access recovery. Um, and so it's great that we get to go and, and offer them many different options, right? There's so many options for them. Right. No, that's just, that's just amazing. Um, then actually this might be a question good for both Nicole and Lindsay, but I guess we're going to start with Nicole. So Nicole, can you give an idea as to like actually the process as to when you first meet an individual who had a, uh, an overdose and how they get kind of input into the program and kind of, it all kind of starts with you. You're the, the main paramedic on this. So, so what I do is, um, uh, I work a 24-hour shift, so every Tuesday and Friday when I come into the station, um, I pull reports. So I walk in uh, 9 a.m. and I pull our reports, and um, it's any documented overdose or uh, Narcan push by our ambulance crew. And then sometimes um, I, I work with uh, Sergeant Ken and Lindsay uh, when we go out, and um, sometimes he'll say, I have, you know, um, I call them patients. Uh, for me, they're patients. Um, I'll say I'll have, you know, one or two patients um, or sometimes more. And then sometimes we'll go back and check on patients that we've already dropped off um, a bag or um, we'll have new patients that we'll go see. And then um, we'll start the process. Sometimes we'll just leave, um, you know, bags on the door. And sometimes we'll see, you know, the patient themselves or um, sometimes we won't see anyone at all or family. A lot of times we'll see family. And they're very open and receptive. Um, in, in Chesterfield, we, we haven't had a, a bad visit, per se. Um, they're very open and uh, receptive to our visit, and, um, and, and happy, especially the family, happy to see us, um, you know, drop off, you know, the bag with the Narcan. And um, we've even had um, the recovery coaches, you know, they've had calls back 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, I need help. And... Um, so, I mean, that's what keeps us coming back, you know, for, you know, positive response, you know, for, for us coming back. So, you know, for us, it's great. It's great news. We even have ambulance crews. I had an ambulance crew call me, I don't want to say about three or four weeks ago. Um, I need help. Can you help us? Um, how can we get some Narcan? So we even have ambulance crews calling us now. Knowing that we have this outreach going on, we have ambulance crews calling us. Um, where can we get some help? So I've been able to say, you know, here in Macomb County, you know, we have the outreach. So I've been able to give them numbers to for uh, patients that need help. That's awesome. So 
now you're saying that if um you guys will go on you guys will go on say to meet a um a patient or a lot of times a patient's family or whoever they live with and it, you said it's typically it's you Lindsay and what was the other person that would come with you uh sergeant ken anderson of chesterfield okay yeah okay so and then so when you bring him out there so then Lindsay, is this kind of like when you first kind of pick up a new patient on your guys on the care end you guys get a new patient for you guys for yourselves i'm sorry yeah, yep, the referral would come from MedStar or Sergeant Anderson or Sergeant Dumas. Um, yeah, and we'd go, you know, as a team, show up at the residence that is documented, shows up on their reports. Um, you know, the, the officer will always knock on the door first and deem the scene safe um, and then introduce, you know, we're Macomb County Outreach. He or she will take a step back, and I kind of step in and take over, uh, try to connect. You know, I always ask for, is the survivor home? Um, if they're receptive and open to coming to the door, you know, sometimes we get invited in. Sometimes we sit on the porch. Whatever they're comfortable with is where we'll take it. And um, I introduce myself as a person in long-term recovery. And, you know, it's funny, you can almost see their body relax when I say that. Uh, it just kind of brings a whole new energy to the situation. And the more we talk, you can see them relax more and more. You know, I'm trying to get some history of their substance use. Um, also, any recovery history. Have you ever tried getting into recovery before. What was that like? What did you like about what you did? What didn't you? And so on. Um, yeah, and then just connect with them. You know, I, I ask them how they feel after their overdose. You know, how how do you feel about that? And how, how are you doing now? Um, you know, just show that, that we really care. And, you know, they People have been very receptive to it. And then, um, you know, my goal is always to get them to agree to a follow-up call. If they said yet, if they say yes, uh, you can follow up with me, that's that's a huge win. That tells me that they're that they're open at least to another conversation about their recovery, uh, which is awesome. And then I absolutely will follow up with them for um, you know, however long they they want. And we you know, we introduce a recovery plan, we set goals, um, go over options and all of that. So with, um, if an individual doesn't say they would respond to a follow-up call, do, mm -hmm. is it one of those situations where you guys are, you guys kind of stand back and I don't want to say it like this, like wait for something to happen again, or do you keep trying to give another push, like another, another ping to them, try to get that relationship back opened up. How does that work if an individual is not very receptive to this yeah. idea of the follow-up? Yeah. So, uh, each situation is different. Um, we do always, no matter what, uh, distribute Narcan and train someone how to administer Narcan. Uh, we also give fentanyl testing kits and we train how to test their drugs. Um, so that way they can at least be prepared and use, um, you know, safely. Uh, we always want to highlight harm reduction. You know, let's just, let's just, I know you don't want to die, so let's help you, you know, to use safely. Um, if they show up on a tracker again and they have another overdose, we absolutely will show up to their home again and do a second visit. Um, but also, my role is all about building trust. So if they tell me that they don't want a follow-up call, I will not follow up. 
Okay. Okay, no, you're right. Trust is especially the most important, especially people who don't really understand certain things mm-hmm. or going through certain things in their lives. Trust is very important. Yeah. Um, so, this Debbie, I'll oh, go ahead. I, I just wanted to add, um, and, and that is really important about the trust. However, we do also just check in on people, too, as appropriate. You know, again, depending on how the visit went, they may follow up in a week to just see how they're doing. Um, if Nicole or one of the others were to take care of them, they may check on whatever it was that they did for them to make sure that they were, you know, okay medically, that kind of thing. So there are times where we will follow up, but I do agree it's really important to honor their wishes um, and establish that trust because they will call back and they have Mm -hmm. called back, um, which uh, has been really Yeah, another success.